Okay, so welcome to episode number 47 of The Space in Between. And today we have a very special guest. My grandmother is going to be on, uh, Edwina or Winnie Burnett. She'll be on in a little bit. But we do have a few exciting things happening in Nomadland. Um, This month, this is October, we are in the Hudson Valley. I'm in the midst of the 200-hour teacher training. We have an awesome group. And uh, we have going on also our Movement 109. So I'm offering Movement 109 October 17th at Bar, Body, and Soul. And then I get to collaborate with Erica Forsell, who is an acupuncturist and a breathwork facilitator. And we are bringing our Move Into Breath on October 25th at the new Wild Oak Yoga and Bar Studio up in Poughkeepsie. So I'm excited to offer Movement 109 and her breath work together again. Uh, so both of those are happening at 6.30 p.m. You can go and find out more at their uh, websites or at Nomad's website, nomadalwaysathome.com. And uh, we're wrapping up, or we're actually in the middle of right now, our Movement 109 Who Are You Becoming course. And it's been such a beautiful journey watching everybody's journeys unfold. (laughs) And we have a few more weeks. We go until I think the first or second week of November, and then uh, we're going to do it again. So just planting the seeds, if you are kind of in a transition in life or you want to kind of set some new intentions for the new year that is approaching 2020 the year of vision um this might be the online course for you and we'll start back up at the end of november for six weeks and uh yeah and if you are connected to or want to be connected with the uh, active duty community our military community and want to serve those who are serving us now we have our tribe training this the end of this month october 26th and 27th so this is um, our weekend course and how to offer the tools of yoga both on and off the mat to active duty so you could be an active duty service member you could be a veteran you could be a yoga teacher you could be a military spouse or connected in some way maybe a social worker who works with um, active duty and you want to offer these mindful tools uh, to to your clients so uh, this is a really wonderful weekend course and we are offering it again October 26th and 27th and you can go to the nomad website or you could go over to trymilitaryyoga.org and find out more there and apply and uh, yeah and then what we also have coming up for next year is I will be leading a retreat in Bali offering movement 109 breathwork yoga and going beyond ritual in Bali March 1st through the 20th uh, next year there's still a few spots available and we want you to come so go ahead over again and visit nomad always at home to find more information but now let's talk to my grandma Okay, I'm here with my grandma. Hi, Phoebe. <laughs> Hi, grandma. So yeah, I usually do. I usually start with um, an introduction of how we're connected, but I think it's pretty obvious how we're connected. <laughs> You're my grandmother. Yes. On my mother's side. Yes. And you want to share some life lessons today. 
Well, I certainly should have some. I've lived to be 87 years old. Yes. Yes. So where do you want to start? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have a lot of life lessons, and I guess I could start right at the very beginning. Okay. We'll start out with, with children. And I must say that um, one of the lessons that I learned very early on was how important a father is to a child. When I was a little girl, I was the youngest of a family of four. And I guess I was a baby, and I was probably a spoiled little kid. But my dad gave me such a sense of security. As soon as he would come home from work, he would have me on his lap, and he would tell me stories, or he would listen to the radio stories with me. Um, He took me to his garden and showed me all the plants. He just always kept me at his side when he was home. Mm. It gave me such a wonderful sense of security. And even though he died when I was nine, I think that sense was instilled in me uh, because I've sort of had that feeling of things are going to be fine all my life, that, you know, everything would work out well. And I think it's just the importance of a father's uh, influence when children are very small. And I would hope that any young father would take that into account and give his kids the attention that they need and deserve. Yeah. Okay. Well, how um how you say so you said you were nine years old? I was nine years old. And how um how did he pass away? Well, he died of cancer at a very early age. Okay. Was he sick for a long time? Mm, about four months. Okay. And how did they, how did, like, how was that for you, right? I mean, obviously you didn't think that everybody, everything was going to be okay right away. <clears throat> I, I had, they kept everything from me. Uh, they didn't let me know how bad it was. In fact, <clears throat> the day before he died, they brought him home from the hospital and sent me over to a neighbor's house. Um, so I wasn't even able to go up to his bedroom and see him that last day. Hmm. Um never dawned on me that he was going to be gone until somebody came and got me and said, your father's gone. Mm. Um, I spent three days crying. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, yeah, did did you get to talk about it or process it with anybody Mm -mm. afterwards? No. Nope. Didn't. And do you feel like that part was also what made you resilient, too, of just having to use these tools on your own to... Never thought about that. Could be. Yeah. Never thought about it. I remember you telling me this story of, like, you crying at, and waiting for him at the end of the bed. Well, I did. I kept <clears throat> thinking that if God were really God, that he would let my father show up at the end of my bed at night so I could talk to him. And he never did. And I think I sort of lost some of my religion. Yeah. Because you were raised what religion? Methodist. Methodist. Yeah, and you I never really thought of you as being a religious person when well, I was being spiritual up. maybe. Spiritual, yeah. I definitely feel like you instilled spirituality in me. Um okay. And so you were 9 then. Mm-hmm. And then you have another lesson. <clears throat> I do. I do. Um actually about 12 years later, I was just turned 21. And uh, going to summer school at Pitt from my town in Johnstown, uh, was involved in a terrible accident. A bunch of drunks came around the corner on our side of the road, 
put me through the windshield before seat belts, and um, <clears throat> I ended up with, among other things, 250 stitches in my face and head and neck. Um, and I don't know whether you can imagine that, but it was pretty devastating with terrible scars and around my eyes and my face, and uh, I was a pretty horrible-looking thing, I thought. Um, and all I could imagine was how horrifying it must be for people to look at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really didn't even want to go out in public. But I had to because I had to start teaching. I'd just gotten a new, brand-new teaching job that year and right out of college and and started teaching and working with people and sort of found out it just didn't make a whole lot of difference to them. <laughs> to this day, I still feel, uh, I still, I'm still very much aware of those scars and I'm always surprised when people say they didn't even notice. So <laughs> I'd say, um, can't see yourself as others see you and you may think that you're too fat or too big or too little or to this or to that, not to other people. You're just a person, and that's the way you should be judged, mm-hmm. not by whether you have scars on your face or whatever. So, yeah. Okay. And just so that people understand, too, I mean, you were a beauty queen. Well. <laughs> you were. Yes. Yes, I've been Miss, Miss Pitt there in my school yeah, so you carried a lot of um, probably that awareness of your beauty, and then it was somewhat what you see is taken away from you, sure I guess. Sure was. <laughs> and you were in a coma, right, Grandma? Yeah, for a couple of days. For a couple of days. Um, do you have any rem- like, do you have any memory at all about that experience of like waking up and... Well, nothing that really <clears throat> applies to what we're talking about here. Okay. Well, um, and you still have a little bit, you still have a little bit of like um, nervousness around driving, I think. Oh, yeah. You told me I had PS, what is it? PTSD. Yeah. You told me that I said I didn't have any, and you said the slightest trauma can cause it. And I hadn't thought about it, but yes, I, I, <clears throat> always slow down when I get to the top of the hill on a curve. I always slow down because there might be a car coming on my side of the road yeah. in the other direction. And I, I just do that automatically. Yeah. I, I, I can't help it. Yeah. I can't help it. That's okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely gotten um, nicer about you yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> When I'm driving and you tell me to slow down on a curve, and now what do you mean when I put my foot on the gas pedal on the passenger side? Yeah, and grab you t- the handlebars. And- yeah, and you tell me to slow down, <laughs> slow down, slow down. So now I'm a bit more aware yeah, of. Now you know why. Yeah, now I know why, and now I decide not to have the knee jerk reaction of <laughs> telling you to stop telling me that, and I know how to drive. Um, but but yeah so and so what you were saying is you afterwards it was really hard for you to kind of be okay with what you look like yeah who I, by the way you're self-conscious for many yeah. many years but yet you are like that's all i hear from my friends when they meet you is how beautiful you are well thank you inside and out but 
mostly out. They say that about old people. <laughs> no, grandma. Oh my gosh. We won't turn this into therapy session okay. about grandma. But right. um, yeah. And so where, I mean, I know that you're still a bit insecure about it, but do you feel like, do you feel like it was just a matter of time of you getting used to it? Um, or I think it was just the fact that nobody was reacting. You know, I'd expect them to react with horror on their faces. Mm. Nobody was reacting that way. So, yeah. um, I mean, if people were staring at me, I wasn't seeing it. And so I kind of got used to the fact that maybe I was overreacting. Yeah, I think you were, because the stories I hear is you had so many suitors and they lo- they thought you were this beautiful person inside and out. Are we done with that lesson? I think so. Okay, what's the next lesson? Well, another one of my life lessons is stay close to friends. Even if you move away and you had good friends, keep them. Um, lifelong friends, there's, there's nothing like it. Every, to me, every friend that I have is like a story. And... Um, Following their lives is like reading an interesting book, and I, I, I love it, and I love my friends. Uh, when we have lots of good times together and have known each other through thick and thin, and, and I've lived a lot of places, and I've made a lot of friends everywhere I've gone, and I try to hang on to the ones that meant a lot to me. And <clears throat> Bob, my first husband, was pretty much the same way. And um, I guess my life lesson in that is Stay close to friends. You never know when somebody's going to pop up and help you at a time when you need it. And the story that I like to tell about that is when Bob, my first husband, and our three kids were living in Waltham, Massachusetts, uh, where Bob had just finished a master's program in music composition, had been hoping to get a job, couldn't find anything anywhere, And we were there in Waltham, stuck with no money, no prospects. We really didn't know what we were going to do. And we got a call from our friend, especially Bob's friend, Tom Grove, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. He was an old Pennsylvania college mate of Bob's. And he called and said, we're coming down to Pennsylvania to visit my folks, and we thought we'd just stop by there in Waltham and spend an overnight with you. And so we were really looking forward to it because Tom was one of these guys that always made things interesting. <laughs> he always had something to do, always had plans and things. So they got there, and of course Bob was telling Tom about the state of things and how we were really at our wit's end about what we were going to do. And Tom said, well, you have nothing to lose. Why don't you come back to Pennsylvania with me? You can go visit Winnie's folks, and and I'll visit mine, and... And then when you're ready, we can just go back. You don't have any reason to stay here. And so we did. We packed our three kids in the in the Volkswagen bus with Tom and Beverly in there, too, and had a great time the whole way down and visited Tom's folks in Lock Haven and then on down to Johnstown where he dropped us off. He said, I'll be back for you in two weeks. <laughs> well, things started to happen. Back in Johnstown where Bob had lots of contacts, that's where we both grew up, um, and the first thing you know, Bob had landed a job at the University of Pittsburgh of Johnstown uh, teaching music. And, um, and I was able to get a job teaching school in the public schools mm-hmm. in just the two weeks that we were there. 
And so Bob went back to Waltham and packed up and came back, and it just that that move changed our lives forever. From then on, we always had uh, income and uh, stable work and everything, and and um, it was all because Tom Grove. Bob stayed in touch with Tom Grove even after he moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Tom came down and invited us to go with them, and it totally changed our lives. So. As I say, stay in touch with friends. For one thing, makes a good story. Their lives are always a good story. <laughs> and they're fun to talk to when you can remember things that you did together that were so much fun. And, and what's more, you never know when one might turn up just when you need it. Yeah, I love that. I love how you say that your friends are stories. They are. Yeah. Yes. Because this is what we do here in the podcast to share people's stories and a lot of it is sitting with people that I have a relationship with in some way and hearing some of their story. Yeah, so, they are. Yeah. Their lives are stories. Their lives are stories. <clears throat> yeah, and so, and then you, yeah, you you guys decided to stay there, and you pretty much stayed there for how long? For about almost a dozen years, and that's where all three girls grew up, and that's where, when they think of their childhood home, that's that's it. Yeah. yeah. Happy, happy days for me, for the most part. That's good. Nothing I liked better than being a mom with three little girls. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever think about, like, what it could have been if you stayed there, if Tom didn't drive by and scoop you guys up? (sighs) I have no idea. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not one to look back and, you know, say what might have been too much. Okay. Yeah, I already knew that. (laughs) Yeah. And then are we moving on to the next? Okay, the next one is one that um, I think I was able to do this because, as I said before, the sense of just self-security that that I had from my father's uh, presence in my early days. But um, the life lesson I learned was never sell myself short I, I was capable of much more than I thought I could do. Mm. Um, and I did that twice. Um, once when I had a chance to take a sabbatical when we were still living in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which is where we ended up after that trip to Johnstown, where Bob taught uh, at the university there. Um, I was able to take a sabbatical from my job, and I really admired this educator at Harvard by the name of Jerome Bruner. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if I could go there and and study with him? (laughs) Uh, But I had no idea what that would entail. Bob was very encouraging. He said, yeah. He said, why don't you just apply and and I'll get a job up there for the year. Somebody always takes a sabbatical. I'll get a job up there and, and, and you can go to school and take the girls and have a year in Cambridge. So I applied, and I got in. I got an NDA, NDEA fellowship, take care of all my tuition. Um, but the only trouble was Bob couldn't get a job. So it turned out he had to stay back in Indiana. I took the three girls and started to pursue a master's degree in cognitive studies at Harvard in the <laughs> area that I really knew nothing about. Um, just so I could study with Jerome Bruner. Um, I don't want to 
go, I mean, I don't have to go into a lot of detail. I mean, it was just Jeez. really tough. And I, the first couple of weeks I was there, I thought, I'm never going to do this. And somehow I did. <laughs> somehow yeah. I got through, I got my master's, I got good grades. And, and we were able to come home at the end of that year. And the girls had had a good experience and living in Cambridge at the height of the 1969, 70s, 68, 69. It was <laughs> life-changing experience for all of us. I'm sure. How old were they? Nine, 11, and 13. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Yes. yes. And I've heard some stories on mom's side of it. Yeah, they ran wild. Yeah, they did. I was so naive, you know, living in Indiana, Pennsylvania, where the kids just ran out all day. Never occurred to me how much danger they could be in, <laughs> in a place like Cambridge at the height of the uh, the student uprisings and yeah stuff like that. Anyway, it turned but, out all right, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was necessary, and I mean, you got your master's at Harvard, Grandma. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, the second one <clears throat> was um, Bob and I got divorced, and. Um, I had gotten a job in Harrisburg because I thought maybe we before we got divorced, I thought maybe we could get that marriage back together because he was working down there full time. And I went down to Harrisburg and didn't work out. So I was only there about five or six years when a friend um, who had got into banking in New Mexico suggested that I come out there and take care of communications. He knew I was good at reading and writing and all that stuff. Take care of communications for his banking company. And I thought, why not? Why not? So, um, of course, there was a promise of a lot more money and all that stuff. Um, so I went out thinking that all I was going to be doing was just writing training manuals and stuff like that. Well, one thing led to another. Every year, it seemed we were adding more things to my job uh, uh, title. We were adding news releases and, and annual reports and, and, and all kinds of government reports. And advertising came on the list. And, and the first thing you know, I was a senior vice president <laughs> doing all this stuff I never had any training for. But you know... You pick things up and you learn things on the job. Yeah. And it's not just that I'm, I was able to do it. I think most of us sell ourselves short and don't think we can do a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about, you know, going into a physics lab and being able to go through all the things that have, in quantum physics or anything like that, but just most ordinary jobs. Most people can probably do them just like I did them and learn them on the job. So... So never sell yourself short. You're capable of much more than you think you are. And take the leap if you have a chance. Take the leap. Take the leap if you have the chance. So you were a school teacher up until that point? No, I was a school administrator at that point. School administrator. Okay, yeah. so you had some sort of admin yeah. experience. Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. And lots of communication skills in that job. Okay, got it. And then how long were you there in the banking? About seven world? or eight years. I don't remember that it was that long, but I was also a baby. Well, maybe it was not. No, no, I'm sure you're right. I just, no. you know, as a child, a little baby child. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And how did you transition out of that job? Until I went down to Houston. So you went from Santa Fe. You didn't go to, from Santa Fe to Houston, did you? 
No, you no, came I back went to, to Washington for a year yeah. or two. Yeah. So what brought you back after you? So you're this senior vice president. Oh, there were a number of things, but Becky was leaving California to go to Johns Hopkins. Brenda and Betsy were both in Washington. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things, what are you doing out there? And we're all here. So, True. And I had a chance to join a little media company. Okay, that's right. So that's what I did. That's right. And you came back to be my little grandma closer to me. And luckily that I did. Yeah. I yeah, was, actually you were supposed to live with me. Yeah, that was a very, you know, kind of tumultuous time in your life. And I'm glad I was there at the time. Me too. Yeah. It was a very tumultuous yeah. time. You never, I mean, you know, that was one of those things. Who knows what took me back? Maybe it was fate. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, it feels like all the stories you've shared so far and all that I know behind you is like that, you, that you've shared with me and lived through is it f- feels very synchronistic. Like I feel like everything has been there at the right time for you. For Even the hard times. For a reason. For a reason, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, just it's kind of like an interesting little windy road of you were senior vice president, then you decided you needed to step away from that life and be back in D.C. with us. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. Wow. I am too. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what? You have another well, lesson? Or are I we spent still like quite a few lesson? years in Houston. I took a right. job as a sci- elementary science specialist. Oh, well, let's stay there because we didn't say how you got to Houston. So you were in D.C. for how long were you here? Oh, two, two and a half years. And then you go, and then what happened? Why did you go to Houston? Well, the, the, I didn't want to continue with this media company. I didn't like selling myself, <laughs> 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 which I guess belies some of the things I've said, but... I didn't like going around to government agencies and working with them. I, I really didn't like that. What were you doing? I don't know if I, I even know. I was making um, media films for government. Uh, mostly I was doing National Science Foundation. We were make, I was making, by that time, the partner that I'd had went out to California to write movie scripts, but he never succeeded. But I was left with this business of doing these training films for the National Science Foundation. And the more I worked with them, the more I realized I did not want to have to do all this kind of work for bureaucrats. I just didn't like it. Okay. And I was spending more time than I wanted to because I was really thinking of a part-time job at that point. And I began to think, well, if I'm going to work like this, I could go back to teaching and have my summers off and have Christmas off. Mm-hmm. And I put in a, at, at my University of Pittsburgh a, a placement office. I put in there, you know, if anybody is looking for Gifted teachers, because that was my field before I went into banking, gifted education. And by George, I got a call from Houston, Texas. They were looking for somebody with my qualifications. And they were willing to put me at the top of their pay scale and this and that and the other thing, give me an apartment till I found a place. And um, So I did it. I had friends down there and relatives down there. So it wasn't like I was leaping off into the unknown. But Yeah, because you had but here again. Take a leap. <laughs> Take a leap. Take a leap. Yeah, and you were there for a while. I was there for 11 years. 11 years, okay. Yeah. Okay, so now you to go back into your story, you said you were in Houston. My what? You were going You were going to go back to a story about you being in Houston. 
for your next lesson, I think. No, I wasn't, because oh. Houston, was, Houston was just a lovely, lovely set of years where I had some nice friends, did some nice things, enjoyed my teaching. I came to live with you. You came to live with me, for right? For a little while, yeah. And that was nice, too, there again, if I hadn't been in Houston. Who knows? But anyway, um, then when I retired, then my two daughters up here, Brenda and Betsy, were saying, you know, why are you down in Houston? You're retired. You could come up here. And I said, I only made friends when I worked. That's how I seemed to make all my friends. <laughs> and I can't get, you know, I can't come up there without any friends. Friends always sustain me so much. So I said, well, get a job. <laughs> <laughs> And luckily, Shepherd University had an opening for just my skills. And I came up and, and took a job at Shepherd University as a visiting professor. And I held that for a year or two and then went into part-time work. And, and finally eased off when Daniel came along. Oh, we'll get to Daniel in a second. And that brings me to my last... Your last lesson. My last life lesson. Um... But before we get there, I have a question. So I'm just thinking about that. Yeah, so you were in Houston. You're kind of living the life. Mm -hmm. And then Aunt Betsy and Mom were basic because they had kids now. So mm -hmm. I was the only grandchild mm -hmm. up until this point. And then they went ahead and had more kids. <laughs> and yeah. so was that one of the reasons why they asked you to come back? Yes, was sure. to be like a grandma? Yeah. And why do you why do you think that you only made friends through work? What, what were you saying? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, when when Bob and I were married, he he usually brought in all the friends, and so the friends I had were just mostly friends that I worked with, and we got to be friends. Uh, not always, but. Um, yeah, it's so funny you say that because I think of like Blair, who you didn't work with. No, but but that was in Indiana, and Bob and Ed were good friends. Oh, I see. And that's how we got to. Know. And what about um Jerry? Jerry, I worked with. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, maybe I did. I just forgot. Yeah, she was a librarian okay. at my school in Indiana. Okay. Well, you haven't worked in many years, and you have like so many friends coming over here. <laughs> well, that's a time. funny thing. Um, now I've been here for what uh, almost, nineteen years. Yeah, almost. And I have a lot of wonderful, wonderful friends here in, in Shepherdstown, and only one of them is still a person that I worked with, and that's Doctor uh, Hannah. Okay. Lynn. Okay. She was the chairman of the department when I left there. And um, other than that, I don't really know anybody, and you know that, yeah. I, wor that I worked with. Yeah, because you have Friday friends, and you have your and cafe all society. of these friends. All of these friends I made basically originally through volunteer work at the library. Yeah. So <laughs> if you if you're not working, then volunteer to make friends. <laughs> that's true. Actually, can you tell that story about why you signed up for the library? Because I think that's funny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, all the time, I've, I've always loved fossils. I've always loved fossils and collected them wherever I've lived <clears throat> until I came here, actually. Um, so in, in Texas, of course, that's a very uh, full of geologists for the oil industry. 
And Houston had a very active gem and mineral uh, group that had a paleo section and uh, paleo, paleontology, and, and a, the focus was fossils. So I joined that, and, um, and I belonged to the fossil section. In fact, I was secretary for years and years and years. And we would go out every month and, and collect fossils all over Texas. It was wonderful. I loved that. Um, so when I moved here, um, I checked around and, and, you know, I couldn't find anybody. I even went to the science department to find out if they ever did any fossil hunting, and they didn't. And so I thought, well, I don't know. i just put it off for a while, get used to this new job. And I was in my office one day, and the chairman came in and said, you have a phone call about fossils. And she <laughs> said, um, you want to take it? And I said, oh, yes. So she transferred <laughs> it over to my phone, and this person said, you know, we have this fossil group, and we'd like to know if you'd like to join our board. And I didn't, I didn't blink an eye. I said, of course I would. <laughs> Um, and so she's talking about all these things. I'm waiting for her to tell me when they take field trips and stuff. And she said, well, we meet, meet in the library or somebody's home once a month. And um, we try to raise money. And I'm thinking, um, the library, the library, you meet in the library. She said, well, yes, because we're friends of the library. I said, wait a minute. I thought this was fossil. She said, fossil stands for friends of Shepherdstown Library, F O S L. So um, I said, "Oh, okay." And so the first thing I knew, I was on the board of fossil, and I still haven't found anybody to go fossiling with. So now, I've, with this new knee, maybe I can get out and start looking for fossils again. With your new knee. <laughs> well, I just got a new knee. <laughs> just got a new re new re. Knee replacement at eighty-seven, and you're ready yes. to go. Yes, fossil hunting. Again. But that's how I that, and that's how I got involved in the library, and through that, made some wonderful, wonderful friends that I still adore, and and spread out from there. Yeah. 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 Again, another little synchronistic moment where it was just yeah. you thought it was fossils, and then it in. was all your friends. You met all these new friends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about Daniel. We're going to talk about Daniel. And instead of telling me about a lesson, why don't you just tell us the story? Well, um, sure, I can, <clears throat> I can tell you the story. I mean, I had been single for, what, 30-some years? You were single, single my entire life. My entire life. And um, <clears throat> I'm very happy that way, very self-sufficient. Um, I had my own little nest egg. I owned my own home um, and had lots of friends, didn't want for anything. And, but I did, as I said, I always like to keep up with my friends. So I did go to our high school reunions. And I made arrangements with my my best friend Doris, who still lived in Johnstown, to go back for the 60th reunion. And uh, we went to the banquet that Friday night. And who should come down? There was just one empty seat beside me, and <laughs> practically everything was filled. But a fellow that was big chief in our, big cheese, I should say, in our high school class, Dan Orovec, <laughs> he 
he was the president of the class, and he was handsomest boy in the class. And he came and, for one of another seat, sat down beside me. And, I mean, I was very quiet and shy in high school. I really didn't ever do anything but nod to him and say hello. But he remembered me. And in the course of the evening, he and Doris and Fred and I carried on quite a conversation and talked and talked and talked. And I found out that he was living in Frederick, which is like a 45-minute drive from Shepherdstown. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been to Shepherdstown. We go to the Bavarian up there once in a while. And so near the end of the evening, he said, well, we should get together. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe give you a call? And I said, sure. And uh, so right after that, I went on a vacation with my cousins, and I was gone for a couple of weeks. When I came back... um, Brenda, my oldest daughter, Phoebe's mom, who had been staying at the house with Willa while Willa was doing an internship at the college that summer, um, said, you got a call from somebody by the name of Dan Orbeck. And, and uh, she said, it's funny, He's, he asked me if you were seeing anyone. And I told him he'd have to stand in line, <laughs> which is ridiculous because there was no line. But anyway, there were lines, you just didn't know about them. Dan thought there must be a dozen guys hanging on my coattails. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, um, we did start to go out. um, But you resisted. I resisted and resisted and resisted. Um, And it got to the point where uh, I didn't want to resist anymore. I realized that he was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And I fell so in love with him. I had never known that I could even fall in love like that. And he was the same way. Mm. In spite of our previous marriages and everything that happened to us, those were the happiest, happiest days of the two of us together. That um, Totally different from the happiness that I had in, when the girls were little in Indiana. Yeah. Just, It was just a wonderful experience. So there is a yeah. lesson in that, Phoebe, the lesson lesson was love can happen no matter how old you are mm-hmm. and unfortunately Dan well, before you say that so can I tell you when I knew no when I knew that you were going to be together what was that Uncle Tom's funeral do you remember that you mean when he was talking to Uncle Tom no at Uncle Tom's funeral when oh, I, at the Uncle, funeral yeah because I I think that was the first time I met Dan, but I had known you had been with, like going out with him for a number of months. You never told me this. I don't know if I told you this. Well, tell me. So I was at Uncle Tom's funeral, and I got to meet Dan, and he was a very nice gentleman, so I already approved. But I think when we were outside, so when we, ha- you know, they were lowering Uncle Tom and you know his grave mm-hmm. into the the ground, and I was holding you, and then. Dan was just standing kind of behind us, just being very patient and, you know, being supportive of whatever you were feeling. And I just remember you came out of my arms right into his arms and you just started crying. And I was like, oh, and him and I had a look like I got I can take care of her. Really? You yeah. never told me that story. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He was a good guy. <laughs> you know, wonderful family. Um, I love them all. And and even though he's gone, I I will have that love. And it's 
So that, you know, when you lose somebody that you love, that love, love lasts forever. Like my love for my father yeah. has lasted throughout my life, and the love for Dan will last forever. And and people that you love, you, they stay with you. Um, they do. It hurts for a while, but if you have good memories and good thoughts and you love them, it's, it's there forever. It's there forever. Yeah, I believe that. So, I so. believe that. Yeah, it, it it really is. I the you know the more I lose people, and you do lose people that you love when you live as long as I have, and you realize after a while that you carry their memories on in, in happiness, and and even the friends that I have lost, like good friend Doris that I mentioned at the high school reunion. Yeah. How I loved her, and she was such a dear friend from the time I was eight years old. Um, <clears throat> You know, I still remember her with great happiness and great love. Mm-hmm. So that's about it. Um, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for, so grateful that I had three children. I won't tell everybody to have children, but I'm so grateful that I had my three girls. And mm-hmm. Six wonderful grandchildren. Um, couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah, we won't ask who the favorite is, but... Just kidding. There is no favorites. I know, I know, I know. So, Just kidding. I just say that I'm the favorite. <laughs> Grandmother will never admit that. Well, each of the other ones might say that, too. They could. They should. They should feel like yes. they are the favorite in your presence because that's the way that, that you, you love all of us <laughs> with I so do. much love. Yeah. I do. Um. Okay, so we just ra- we just told the entire story of Edwina Burnett in thirty eight minutes. Oh, good. <laughs> that's, that's very good. You yeah. feel like you're satisfied. Your whole life is summed up in thirty eight minutes. <laughs> I think some of the life lessons that I've learned. You know, I, I would never give advice to anybody else. I quit giving advice to my daughters. When I realized when they were about 15 or 16, I could no longer buy clothes for them. Okay. And I would find clothes that I bought in their closets with the tags still on them. And they were going around <laughs> in holy jeans and, and little tiny sweatshirts and stuff. So that's when I quit giving advice to my daughters. And I don't give advice to anybody. But for me, the life lessons, power of a father's influence on children when they're very young, um, you see yourself differently than others do. Don't be hard on yourself. Stay close to friends. Never sell yourself short. Love can happen at any age. At any moment. At any moment. I want to change that because it doesn't have to be an age thing. It could be just any moment. Right. Um, yeah, and I feel like you have instilled those lessons in me um, over the years and so many other lessons over the years, too. Um, I think that the selling yourself short, I don't think you realize how independent and how you were and how that influenced me to be so independent. Uh, because you always told me, you know, it's, you know, to make sure I had the brains, not, not just the beauty and to make <laughs> sure that I made decisions for me and nobody else. So I'm grateful that you instilled that and just, you always you carry yourself with such grace. Thank you. Even though you are have some insecurities that I kind of try to turn a light on for you, um, 
but <laughs> now I understand a little bit more why. Good. Yeah. But I'm not letting you go because you are still so beautiful, Grandma. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share? Um, I'm glad that we were able to wrap this up <laughs> less than an hour. Yes, I know. You don't like the long podcasts. Okay, good. I, I think we'll leave it at that then. Okay. All right. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our time with my grandma, Edwina Burnett. Uh, I certainly love her very much and love sharing her to the world. Um, and yeah, if you are interested in joining Movement 109 this month, go over, remember to head over to the Nomad website. And we have also some dates happening in November too. So Eric and I will be also doing movement move into breath in November and I'll also be offering movement 109 over at Namastasis. And if you are not in the Hudson Valley, let me know if you want movement 109 to come to you because January and February we're open for traveling. So reach out, let me know. Let's make it happen. Have a good one.